I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. On this podcast, I explore topics in digital marketing for jewelry designers and retailers, including branding, content, email, events, social media, and more. This is episode 45, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Julie Lamb, the founder of and designer behind the eponymous jewelry brand Julie Lamb New York. Making jewelry ever since she could string beads, Julie studied metalsmithing in college and then went on to pursue a career designing for some high-profile corporate brands. In 2014, she felt it was finally time to take the plunge and go into business for herself, so she dove headfirst into designing and producing her own pieces. Today, the Julie Lamb brand stands for individuality, and her pieces encourage the wearer to stand out, be heard, and be you. Furthermore, her city pieces, which are proudly made in New York by New Yorkers, speak authentically to Julie's New York City roots. Her work has been featured in publications like JCK, In Store, National Jeweler, Vogue Knitting, Forbes, and many more. She's truly a creative force to be reckoned with, and for full disclosure, she's one of my clients. But I have to admit, she's always teaching me a thing or two about marketing, especially when it comes to consistent brand development and voice. Without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Julie. And don't be alarmed if you hear some barking about halfway through the episode. My dog, Charlotte, wanted to chime in and I want to give her a shout out. Enjoy. When did you first have the vision for the Julie Lamb brand and what inspired you to move forward with the vision and make it a reality? It was like a push come to shove situation, I think, because I had started some of the jewelry, like some of the oldest styles are like the manhole covers and some of the first BU lamb stuff. I started, I don't know, 10 or 15 years before I started my line. So I always worked for bigger companies and stuff. So, you know, full-time designer at, you know, companies like Avon and Nine West and Honora Pearls. And I would just go from one to the other and like move up in my career. And like on the side, sometimes I'd make myself something or I'd start some pieces, but like I didn't finish like I didn't get the chain I didn't make whatever yeah um so anyway I had gotten I got laid off of my last full-time position I was a uh my first not designer position I was like director of product development and merchandising at this startup a fine jewelry startup so um and I just at that point I had worked for like big corporate and family owned and and costume jewelry and all kinds of jewelry already. And I just was like, all right, you have to do it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, was, I was just like afraid this whole time, all these years, it was like in the back of my mind, but I was like, I can't run a business, you know? Yeah. So that was definitely the scary part. That's how so many good stories start. Like, I got laid off from my job. <laughs> yeah, no, I was literally like, I mean, I got, I went all the way in to meet with the boss. And, and I had liked my, it was an interesting job. It was startups so were more techie than I had been used to. It was totally interesting. And I was into it. And I just was like blindsided. I had no idea. And, um, you know, I was already home by like, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 a.m. And I was like, 
getting drunk in my backyard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just like I knew. I was like, well, I'm not I'm not going on another interview. I was like, I can't. Like I just the resume is full. I'm done. Like I have to do this thing. What was the learning curve for that? I mean, how did you decide to transition from one to the other? Uh, I didn't decide to transition. I just kind of did it. So yeah, I kind of happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with all the free time on my hands, then I um had like my first little showing in December. Was I got laid off on uh mid September, and I did my first little showing that December. Of it was just like a few styles, um, in like a holiday party mix with some friends. Mm-hmm. So I just started making, you know. Uh, casting and finishing some of the pieces I had already made and you know get the chain put it together like let's make jewelry and I just jumped into it how, how long ago was that again what year did that happen that was September 2014 I probably first showed December 2014 but I want to say the website didn't happen until fall of 2015 so when people say like how long when did you start? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it kind <laughs> yeah. of evolved over when time. Is, when is the beginning, right? Yeah, when, definitely. Because, like, you know, the most frustrating thing in the beginning, beginning is, like, you can't even show anything. Like, you don't have pictures because you didn't finish your samples yet. It, you can't show any. You have nothing to show for yourself. It's, like, so frustrating. Imagine me trying to explain, you know, lambs with diamonds. You know, without... <laughs> It was crazy. So I was in a rush to like, you know, have physical samples and pictures and, you know, get it going. Mm-hmm. That makes Once. sense. Yeah. So when you developed those first collections, did you design them strategically around any sort of brand identity or was it just an extension of what you had already been doing for yourself? And then also, how has your product assortment evolved since then? So strategically, now I didn't sit down and make a product plan and a business plan like you know a business person would do which I had been yelled at about but I didn't care so I definitely went with BU first because it was the most finished as far as the models went from having pieces you know made previously no I would say <laughs> I went with that first so it was my it's like the lamb logo is my logo and my trademark right so it's going to yeah. be on all my pieces even if it's just the inside of a eternity band it's there somewhere and I, I you know it's memorable it's like you know coach making stuff with c's on it or chanel or fendi with the f or whatever it's my lamb so <laughs> i thought it was it was it's a good like recognizable symbol but like i'm i'm not a luxury brand or any why would anyone care yes. to put this little animal on them when who the hell am i so that pushed me to do like the little um the marketing stuff around it like I mean, the name of the collection is BU, and then some of the pieces are like Stand Out, it says Rock Your Flock engraved on the back. Um, I Love You, EWE is a lamb, and it says Lamb Tag on the back. So I was like playing with like kind of empowerment messages, fooling around with the puns of that, mm-hmm. just to do marketing kind of thing to engage other people in the messaging because, you know, who was going to wear a lamb around their neck was my thought process. Yeah. <laughs> That was how that all started, and that was definitely the first in what I came out with, and um, as people know me for that, and I know this for a fact because people DM me, like, cheap pictures, like, when they're at a petting zoo and stuff all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and mostly get cheap and manhole covers sent to me. <laughs> uh-huh. 
which I appreciate. (laughs) Like you say, you didn't really have a strategy, but it really seems like you had like an instinctual understanding of how to move forward with it, even if you you don't really admit that. I wonder if like (laughs) maybe subconsciously like working those corporate brands, like you kind of understood how to build an identity, but you didn't really acknowledge it. Yes, I would say that's correct. So it's not like I had like a process down on paper. However, like at Avon, uh, Avon, for example, I reported into marketing for probably five of the six years I was there. Uh-huh. So it's just like learning to, you know, I would say design was the middleman. So it's like marketing's asking for something or going to ask for something. We all have the calendar. We know what holiday's coming up. And then me getting it in work and then like the supply chain people picking up the ball and getting it like real into production and delivered. So I learned over those years to like anticipate what they were going to ask me and, and going, you know, just you're sitting in the meetings with everybody and you're coming up with like the marketing handles and how we're going to sell this thing. So, and I always like making up names for stuff. I mean, it was a little too cheeky for Avon a lot of it. Oh uh-huh. my God. Yeah, I used to beg every brand I ever worked for, I would beg them to let me do a black heart around Valentine's Day, and Honora let me do it. They, they didn't really <laughs> care what I was doing, but I was just like, that's the exact kind of thing. Like, this is not a holiday for, not everyone is happy today. Like, people just broke up, they're getting divorced, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, let there be this other thing for the other people who aren't celebrating. And, like, I feel like that was, like, the beginning of the black sheep. Yeah, definitely. So there's strong connection there. And it sounds, I mean, whether you realize it or not, it sounds like you were kind of prepping your mind and your your vision for your own line because you realized that some of this corporate stuff wouldn't fly with with your creativity. Yeah, I would push the boundaries. Like, you know, (laughs) you see, I'm out on my own. So I'm pushing, you know, whatever boundaries I find because I have a bigger playing field now to try to look for them to push but I will still find them but yeah in a in a corporate role it's definitely like you know you're in that little box you're like what do you want to name the the items for you're a designer go make go make something you know what I mean I'd be like I want to be in your meeting that's fun like whatever Mm -hmm. so yes there's no now I can use all the creativity or there's no no box anymore I I could check all the boxes (laughs) that's awesome it works perfectly for you yeah, it was like uh, uh, marketing by osmosis, I guess. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I call Avon was very like, uh, I call it like, um, I don't know, like a master's program or something. It was like extra school because it was like a lot of reporting to the street because we we're publicly traded. And, you know, we'd sit in these town halls with like, you know, a few hundred people. And out of all those people, how many designers are in the room? I don't know three (laughs) you know it was just weird it's like we're plopped in this big corporate machine so you know you have to adapt to that not the other way around yeah absolutely so one thing I really admire about you and your brand is how frequently you post on social media and how you make it seem so effortless and in all your posts your distinct voice and energy always shine through in your content. So I'm wondering does it come as naturally to you as it seems to all of us or do you have to like create mental space for it? And how are you able to generate so much content on a regular basis? 
that's a big compliment and so thank you um, <laughs> you know that's a beast of its own i have to admit from the beginning you know not i not all social is created equal right twitter and pinterest and instagram and facebook and all this stuff you know you kind of oh we even had google plus in the beginning it's another person's job right and i didn't even i don't even i probably posted like four times on Instagram before I was working for myself. Uh-huh. So right away I had to dive into that thing and Instagram and me were immediately friends. Like I like the platform, beautiful, easy, a quick little quip. I could like throw in a joke or whatever. It's more about the picture and a little bit of interaction. I just really like it's clean and easy. Facebook on the other hand, <laughs> I don't know if I should be saying this. Who's listening? However, (laughs) find it a very messy platform and it's a labyrinth and I get lost in there and ugh, it's, I really don't enjoy it. So from the very beginning, I have definitely hired out monthly for that type of thing. We used to be doing, right, Twitter, Google Plus, Pinterest, and Facebook, but I always handled Instagram. (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so it just I guess Instagram I can't who could read all those articles who could be aware of all this stuff who could post on all these channels it's like you know getting content getting content it's it's crazy yeah it's a lot for someone to wrap their head around all of that stuff I mean if people are looking for a person then you have to be really really clear and that they're still kind of speaking in your voice because you know that's the one thing you know you don't want to mess with like it still has to be authentic to the brand or to me and you know it's hard to find a partner Mm -hmm. but not impossible yeah it's true and thing is and Julie you have such a distinct voice so that's extra important with you because not all brands speak in like a type of personality or one that's like readily identifiable but yours is very easy to like match with your brand so for social media it's so important I agree. I feel like I see so many, oh, it's delicate jewelry. I mean, you're just going to use the same, oh, delicate, oh, bling, oh, whatever. It's just like, I can't, the generic kind of stuff. I just, it's too much out there. And like, how can you compete at that level? So, I mean, really my only competitive tools, I don't know what to call it, is like design. I can be original. It's unique. It's mine. Or my voice, humor, the branding, you know, those are two things that I'm creating that should be always authentic to me. And I would like to be defined by what I'm putting out. And I want to be recognized when you see something of mine, whether you see the lamb on it, or it's the superpowers piece or or manhole cover, stuff like that. Like if it comes back to me, people, oh, oh, I knew it was your piece. Love that. Yeah. Do you have any tips for brands that are struggling to create fresh content? Because, I mean, you say that Instagram comes very naturally to you, but I don't think it's easy for a lot of brands to even know what kind of images to post or when to take pictures Mm -hmm. or what's a good opportunity to post. So do you have any strategies that that you use to to post on Instagram? You're right. And we all wish that Instagram had, um, you know, set it up in advance thing. And there's probably a plugin or an app for it that I'm not using. Uh-huh. Um, some people are very, you know, strict and curated. And they have, like, their signature color 
background that they'll do every other post or something like all their quotes are written in the same font, the same color that looks beautiful on a feed. Um, I wasn't that I was like, I don't want to be like tied into something and have to always do it. Like, I think it's great if like, if like an outside company is managing you, you're probably going to get that because it's an easy template. So you could go that route and create something where you, you know, you, you make your own formula. It's like every fifth post is going to be a quote. Every sixth post is going to have our signature colors. Every eighth post is a professionally shot product versus, you know, it depends what the ingredients of your, like if I was sitting down with any brand, I'd be like, what are you about? What are your products about? And, and out of those answers, you can put together some kind of format or template for yourself if you want to follow that. Me, I'm kind of pretty random and I don't wake up the same every day. Yeah. I'm not on anything, people. It's just <laughs> natural what you're getting here. Unfiltered. <laughs> I mean it's definitely like my inspiration of the day like what I'm feeling oh oh it's hot outside you know how am I going to tie into that or the best thing to do is take as many pictures as possible always take them um I have a bad habit of when I'm actually relaxing like at a party I got vacation I don't feel like taking my phone out (laughs) yeah uh, you know what too bad for me like you, you know, you're dressed up to go to this thing. You better take a bunch of pictures. Just save those pictures and, you know, get them into drafts. So on that rainy day or you don't know what to post, like you have all this stuff, you know, baked in there waiting for you. So whether you do a template kind of formula of like a repetition in, you know, so your feed looks branded fine and you can store those drafts as well. But just like constantly take more pictures than you ever want to take. Yeah, <laughs> and, and get people wearing your stuff to take them and send them to you too that's a really great tip it all it just always has to be like top of mind and you have yes. to have a phone that has a lot of photo storage on it so yes <laughs> yeah, but- oh. oh I wouldn't have been able to have my business without the iPhone or Instagram those are two <laughs> things that like that's everyone's like oh where's your office and I'm like I show them it's in my hand so yeah. I'm like here it's right here we're working right now <laughs> yeah it's amazing what technology has enabled for us constantly take pictures even when you don't want to there's my tip <laughs> I love it so Julie what are some of your biggest challenges when it comes to marketing and what are some things you're trying to do to overcome them I have confused so many people because I have different collections you know what? They have different marketing handles. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how the collections are distinct and why that's an issue? It's not an issue for me because my yeah. multiple <laughs> personalities demand right. many collections that I do wear all together. Um, how that happened was I came out with BU first and this is really fun, like haha funny. I, you know, launched social media, I want to say April 2015, like, you know, Instagram right away and I'm posting a sheep jewelry and who are my first followers? Uh, knitters <laughs> and sheep farmers. Now, <laughs> I never really left New York uh, for any kind of capacity, <laughs> you know, yeah. semester abroad, whatever. And I don't knit and I don't farm all these things. So, you know, I was like, whoa, that's weird, but not we- it's not weird at all. When you think about it, like, what am I tagging? So um, I was in a rush to put out other collections because like, I mean, we started talking about 
before had the lamb as my logo and my trademark like I'll always have it with me but I just didn't want to be known as oh it's Julie Lamb she makes sheep jewelry how cute like I didn't want to be pigeonholed just doing that so I rushed to put out City which is a New York City themed pieces like the manhole covers and the tokens um industrial luxe looking stuff as I call it and Metropolis was um a way for me to play with colored stones. I had this this one shield shape I had bought years ago, and that was kind of the. I had people saying that men, the men are always like, "Oh, super, is that a Superman stone?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> so <laughs> they were seeing Superman, and women were seeing a diamond, and I was like, "Ooh, two powerful symbols. I like yeah. this." Mm-hmm. Like calling it Metropolis kind of brings it back around to a city like feeling too. It works in. So I rushed to put those things out as well. And then I had some other bits I called elements. And then I have some expensive stuff. I put limited edition. So I add to all of this stuff as I can. But, you know, because I I venture to say it could be five different customers. So the challenge for me is, you know, where to spend my energy, how to target more than one audience. You know, I'm only one one person or one and a half people on a good day so it's like Mm -hmm. I am going where it takes me so um, definitely BU took off faster than the other stuff I think the other pieces have more competition just being like you know regular jewelry world pieces the lamb is unique in its space and I definitely am more familiar with that audience and I have return on investment with that audience. And I have been told by all the smart people I try to talk to for business advice to stick with that and invest in that and stay with that. But like I said, you know, I love that stuff, but it's not going to be the end of me because I also like to do all the other stuff I mentioned. So right, that's the challenge is just like making the things live together, like on a website. And I don't think I have such a problem on a website. You can really like make that your own world. It's like, it's my department store, basically. They have to live together. The graphics have to be like cohesive, but the internet is big enough that I can have all my five stories. Big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a, sometimes a case in a jewelry store. No, but the, the internet is big enough. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know that you've also segmented your social media. So can you talk a little bit about uh, that and how that's working? Yes, I would realize, because in the beginning it was all together, that sometimes there'd be a sheep, sometimes there'd be a stone, sometimes there'd be whatever. And I realized when I'd post the sheep jewelry, i get less likes or, or I would drop followers. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, nobody has a sense of humor over here and I I think I am definitely like plugged into a lot of industry people and stuff and I'm like wow I think they're just so not getting this this sheep and then I have this other like I'm at I don't know I'll be at a truck pop-up in a yarn store and I meet the nicest most enthusiastic ladies and I'm like wow like I just need to gear this towards them like let me get it off of Julie Lamb NY let me make its own page, which is BU by Julie Lamb. Mm-hmm. So there I can take all that goofy humor, all the puns, all, you know, it's more geared taught specifically to that audience. And I think 
that works. It's yeah, people are like, oh my God, you're gonna have two Instagrams. It's double the work. I'm like, it's not actually. It it helped me like manage it and I don't know, just like clean it up, divide it. It seems like the Julie Lamb New York is like less messy when that animal left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you're really speaking in two different voices because like on one hand you said the Julie Lamb New York is more more people that are in tune with with fine jewelry, some industry people. So it's definitely a different voice that you have to use as opposed to like knitters who might not really know anything about jewelry, but they just think your stuff is cute. So you're talking to them in a totally different way. Yeah, that's exactly true. Right. On the um, Julie Lamb and why I get to like go off on my soapbox is mostly about design because I could just like blah, blah, blah about that. So that's the place where I can you know, inspiration and design and maybe some girl boss stuff. You know, I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like my career space. Best thing I saw today. Um, whereas BU is definitely the fooling around <laughs> and cheap jokes kind of place. And uh-huh. yeah, they they um, appreciate people who also create because, they you know, they love their craft so much. So there's that. But it is definitely different audience, different points you have to hit for sure which I don't mind so kind of speaking a little more to this to this segment of knitters you mentioned you first discovered that knitters were were interested in your jewelry because you started getting certain followers on your social media profiles and it was surprising to you what are some other ways besides like creating this separate social platform that you have connected with the knitting community and and um, how have you kind of evolved your approach in selling to cater to them? It happened organically. Like, I mean, from the very beginning, like I said, it, the first tip off was the, the first followers. Right. So it's, you know, been in the back of my mind. So it was a couple of years ago. If you're ever up, up in Rhinebeck, New York, there's a beautiful designer jewelry store um they lean more towards the um bench jewelry designers you know people making one of a kinds and stuff um it's called hummingbird jewelers been going in the store for years like drooling on everything (laughs) and uh you know it's like a fantasy like wow i wish one day if i ever had a line it could be in here so finally i had even walked in with the lamb stuff at some point and not so much, but I finally, they had attended a medal in Smith. I, I'm not sure if it was 2017 or yeah, it might've been 2017. And, um, the owner Bruce Lubman is talking to me at my table, like totally friendly, nice guy. And just like a normal conversation. I'm like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Where's your store? And he says, Rhinebeck. And I go, wait a second. Are you hummingbird? <laughs> He's like, yes. There's a thing called Rhinebeck Sheep and Wool Festival that runs through there. So that's like a big deal in the fall, right? The Sheep and Wool Festival is at the fairgrounds and his store is in, in the main street on in town. So I now that I know this guy in front of me, who he is and where he is, I'm like, listen, I was like, I got all these lambs and you have sheep and wool coming. I was like, let me up there. Can we please do a trunk show during you know, sheep and wool at your store, like, that'll be amazing. So he went for it. And um, that was like, what, 
the lambs are what got me into the store, not like, uh, you know, a one of a kind $10,000 spectrum ring or something. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So when I did that first trunk show, um, so now people would have to come, you know, outside of the hours of the festival or before or after or whatever. He did very nice advertising. Like, I mean, posters at the fair, radio spot, newspaper. He really did it right. And brought in a lot of traffic from the fair and people were coming into this beautiful store like with like five sweaters on and like sheep ears like being crazy with their friends <laughs> and going like where are the sheep where's the sheep necklace and I was dying because it's just like <laughs> such an amazing store and like these people they didn't care about the other jewelry they just they wanted the lamb necklace and I'm like yeah. this is amazing so that's so um, smart. It was crazy. I, that was like a big aha moment because I had all the women that weekend were asking me if I was going to be at these other events. So that's kind of how I learned about other things I could be a part of in their community. So Vogue Knitting, Vogue magazine has a knitting magazine. It's very, like a like the high end knitting magazine, and then they do these vendor shows to the public. You like you you'd buy a ticket and. I don't know if you believe me, but there'll be like ballrooms, two floors in a hotel full of uh, mostly fiber yarn vendors and and now me for the past couple of years. Uh (laughs) So like I wouldn't have known that thing existed, but people are telling me, are you going to be here? Are you going to be at Rhinebeck? Are you going to be at the Maryland Sheep and Wool? You know, so that's how I'm finding out by listening to the knitters and then linking up with yarn store owners hey oh valentine's day yeah i'll do a trunk show in your store so it's been been like that so it's very interesting that's amazing were you ever able to get non-sheep jewelry into hummingbird (laughs) oh not so much much. (laughs) Uh, they totally were like i i'm like packing i'm there for three days i'm packing up they're like i like this earring i like this earring i'm like okay you know it's for sale like no i um no i had stuff there on memo for a while and i was just like this is silly that's that's still a really cool realization that you had and the way that it came about was totally accidental yeah well i'm just like listening to the people they're telling me and they're asking me so, you know, and I've done, I've been in their community doing their shows for a couple of years now. So like this January at Vogue in New York, I, you know, wrote, wrote a million notes. It's like, they want more stuff without diamonds. They want more earrings. They want a ring without diamonds. They, you know, longer lengths. I, I made necklace extenders. I was, I sold them out. It's like, you're asking me, I'm going to make this stuff. Like, you know, I'm listening. This is your line as much as it is my line at this point I mean I have to listen to them they're vocal and they give great advice so far they know what they want and it's great that you are listening to your customers I think some designers get so caught up in their own vision and kind of stubborn about what they want to do and I for sure know that there are things that, that you want to be making like dream pieces but some designers just don't really take the time to listen to customers and I mean those are the people opening their wallets for you so you kind of have to do that (laughs) yeah I mean you're gonna see what sells what doesn't sell I would say like in the beginning like BU especially I had so many diamonds like in the silver it just that line just doesn't need a quarter carat it doesn't make any sense 
Mm-hmm. So I've been scaling back on that. Like I like to still have a diamond. Most of my pieces have like one little accent. You know, I still I'm putting gold posts on the silver because just for quality. It's finished in New York, so I have this high labor. So it's still like the silver is up there in price, but it's just you know I'm I'm just trying to be really conscious of what they want, but like not dilute the design. But I think I think I can do it. I got some new stuff coming out. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for that. <laughs> More lammies. <laughs> so I mean, we already talked a little bit about this about balancing all the segments of your target customers. You mentioned how you separate separate social media, how you have different like messaging for each for each group. But before we move on, I just want to know: Do you have any other advice for brands that are really struggling to with the segmentation of their customers? I think. I think most brands don't even have it to such an extreme that you do. So, so you of all people would have, you know, a good perspective. Are there any other ways that brands can juggle, you know, working with all these different uh, customer segments? I would think most people would probably have like, let's say they have a bridal line and a fashion line or something to that effect. If you're, you should be speaking to the potential bride in a, a little bit different voice or maybe you're advertising in those bridal magazines. Uh, maybe you've linked up with uh, a floral designer or you're going to those kind of shows where, you know, they're getting in, um, getting the fiancés in and, you know, sell, what cake and flowers and event planning kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, that's a niche, right? So, and it's a huge audience. It's like, moms are a huge audience like my best friend Jackie Cohen does in my story she talks to moms that's that's a big group and brides is another big group but just get niche with it and really really like speak straight to them or try to get their attention in some way but you'd have to like what I'm saying go to their events go to the things that they care about like advertise in those spaces fashion lines are tough you know especially if you're doing trend jewelry I don't know like everyone's got a rainbow right now that's hard because me personally I can't win on price so it's like you have to be competitive with the tools that you know drive you to the top of the pile so because I'm not making it overseas or whatever, my price is going to be higher. Like I just can't play there. So I just, you know, it's like being original and getting known for that one cool style, the few statement pieces like that keep playing on those trademark signature styles that you have. So people will recognize you and you have to get their attention. And once you can really, really see who's attracted to that, who's following you because of those signals you're putting out, that's who you're going to have to drill down and chase like it's niche. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that's really great advice. And and I agree with you on, on the fashion stuff. I mean, you, you can't compete on every level because there are people that will always have bigger marketing budgets that will always have you know, cheaper manufacturing means. So you have to find what sets you apart and just really run with that. Yeah, I mean, it's so much more segmented than anyone from the outside realizes, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's all fine jewelry. Like, okay, well, is it on Macy's selling floor? You know, we've got manufacturers from all over the world. Sometimes 
they get a clue and can masquerade as brands and they get a cheaper price and they have the whole uh, set up for production already. You know, it's big time competition. And if you're just a one little designer, what can you do? I mean, everyone's trying to figure this out, but like, (laughs) I've noticed like when I did the Mad Museum, uh, that refined show, there was kind of segmentation between the designers who are hand making things on the bench and like me, you know, I draw and then I use CAD people and I, I really like that machine quality and the precision and all the, all the good stuff I can get from working that way, leveraging technology. But I feel like, I mean, I had other designers like ask me, like look down their nose, oh, are you on the bench? And I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm like, I have a degree in metalsmithing. Like I was on the bench. Like I soldered stuff in college. Like I I can make you something. It just won't be like the precision from the design, you know, my designer style now. So, you know, that's a different segment. Like you should be, if you're on the bench, you should be, you know, you have to call that stuff out. You should be showing bench shots and you can show your piece polish with like black fingertips. And that's cool because you just polished it and people love a maker and that's amazing. Now I can't do that. I just, I feel like I have to constantly prove to people that I'm like involved in the process. But I think it's kind of silly that that's the case because it's silly. Because one isn't better or worse. It just is a different product and it appeals to different people. No, I'm just like, wow, I, I, you know, last time I carved wax, super fun. I love doing it. I could make you little animals or whatever. That's fine. But I just make you an engagement ring that would look like anything. Um, yeah. I just, I'm like, if I'm on the bench, then how am I going to spend, you know, nine hours of screen time on my iPhone? Like, how am I posting? How are you doing the marketing and the sales? Like, unless you have other people that you've had, unless you have commissioned people on retainer doing the sales and the marketing and all the other stuff, you know, your hands are on the bench. How are you running the rest of the company? And, and brands have to make important decisions about that. And there shouldn't be any judgment because it's, you can't, you can't do everything. You can't. (laughs) Right. I didn't want to be limited in what I could make. So I'm constantly like, wait, did we get a new tool? What does this laser thing do? How can I use it? So I'm like, my, it's like, I want to make everything in my brain. It is a joy to hand make something. And I've done it my whole life. I was, I have a huge bead collection. I used to make stuff, wire wrap, whatever, weave, beads this, beads that, glue, whatever. I love making stuff my entire life. I'm just, I went past that in a different direction, like working for these companies and got used to a different way and Mm -hmm. this is how I design now I mean it's it was an evolution I didn't start like this obviously so you know any way you slice it but you just have to like you know stand by your process poly whales is a fantastic example yeah I was actually think just (laughs) before you said that yeah it's great cast not set like she I don't know if she invented um, setting the stones in wax but she sure you know was one of the first to put it out and make her whole line about that look and she owns it and you know she brings you in on the process she talks a lot about her mechanical process and how she got to there and it's amazing Good yeah branding. and she plays a very central role in the brand but she's probably not the one doing all the marketing I mean I think I read an article about and JCK and she has a whole team of people doing that stuff so she can focus on you know being on the bench and being innovative yeah it's the best yeah Yeah. 
<laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> so, Julie, you're really good at getting press for your brand. It's really amazing. If you go to Julie's website, you'll see a press page that just is en- an endless scroll of press. So I'm wondering, uh, what are some of your strategies for getting noticed by journalists and what kind of results have you seen from press in terms of building your brand? I would say I'm just like a big mouth cheerleader. So (laughs) I would say, because I'm almost doing this five years, like in the beginning, things that I might have been shy about or whatever, like just you have to shout it out on social media. You have to you know, social media is your platform with which to scream your <laughs> messages, right? Uh-huh. So just forget about being embarrassed. Uh, forget about, don't call it bragging. If you don't highlight your own little achievements, and they're all little in the beginning, nobody else is going to. You know, and I would tell designers, new designers, like, it's terrible when, you're seeing someone have made their first show or some of their first shows and like, Oh, I didn't sell anything. Like literally nobody cares that you came out with a new line. Like, I mean, it's, it's so horrible I, to say, but it's true. It's like, very maybe, true. It's maybe very, maybe your mom cares. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nobody in the world cares. The world is saturated with jewelry and people's attention are everywhere. So like, how do you make people care? That is very difficult. It's hard to, at one thing, like, if you don't have a personality, <laughs> find something else to do or hire somebody who has one. Okay, there's that's there's one. There's, an, there's like all harsh realities. If you really ask in my real opinion, sorry. And then yeah, just don't don't be embarrassed. So like, but be grateful and stuff. But you still have to be like, I got this press. I was in this article. They pulled my stuff for a shoot. Da-da-da. I'm doing this show. Like, you have to do it. You have to make noise to be seen, to be noticed. Like, don't go away. Hey, I can't afford to do the seven, ten, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 big show all my friends are doing. Okay, what am I going to do while they're all there getting all the magazines over there? Well, hey, oh, I can enter these contests or I could weasel my way into some party or <laughs> take some pictures. Or like, you have to continue to make noise on-brand noise and you're the only one who can do it and has to do it and you know you have to you also have to give probably more of yourself than you would like and um (laughs) I've been slowly like peeling back I um it's just about being more comfortable like sharing um I feel like whenever I've done like a big long post about inspiration for something like something like a real heartfelt thing like I will get you know, really a lot of likes and engagement on it. You can see how far that stuff goes and when it's meaningful, when it's authentic. You know, it's like yell a lot, make a lot of noise and be authentic and have a personality. From a, from like a practical perspective, though, I guess um, I'm thinking of things like how you recently had some jewelry featured on that NBC segment, New York what is it New York Live so like how do you know who to talk to what is the logistics of getting something like that accomplished right okay so it occurred to me that you know in in, insular like in New York and I'm, I'm happy to be here 
and have this playground, there's a ton of jewelry people. So like you might belong to some of the jewelry industry, you know, you have memberships in the industry uh, or, or doing the shows and you're mostly talking to other jewelry people <laughs> and we're all talking to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so like I have to break out of this network. I have to like make it a priority to get other networks. So one person I'll mention again, uh, Jackie Cohen is very good at that stuff. She, when she first started the brand, she, her brand, my story, she joined a couple of these mom networks. So it's like, mom entrepreneurs I can't really say it mom entrepreneur I can never say the word so it's like other women who are running their own business a lot of things are geared towards fashion that's a whole different network right so when you're in that space it's like oh well she's doing handbags and I have jewelry I'm gonna do a trunk show at her country club and then I'm gonna get in front of all her friends and da, da, da. so it's like networking 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 right so mm-hmm. Whether you're doing that stuff at shows and you're trying to get retailers or whether you're trying to go more direct, you know, you just, you can't talk to enough people. So it's like wherever city you're living in, you know, you have to get, just be out there and meet as many people as you can. Like I didn't grow up around, you know, a lot of my friends are like, oh, I wish I could afford your jewelry. And I'm like, yeah, so I wish I could too. (laughs) You know, it's like, ah, So like, where do I find these people? Right. So it's like, make sure you have time in your life to be out, go out, like see the friend you haven't seen in a while. She probably has friends and she has friends and she has friends like getting out of your little circle, like lend jewelry to people going to events or what, you know, whatever you have to do. It's very important to get out to more circles. So like the NBC thing, Jackie met Amy Schechter at a mom thing and Amy Schechter has done a lot. She does a lot of content. Um, she actually was on the Bravo TV show million dollar listing. Cause she works for the Ryan Serhant team uh-huh. and she does the New York live segment and she does some editorial style expert stuff for Bella magazine. So Jackie met her and Jackie had gotten to do the NBC spot and Bella and then Jackie introduced me and she loved my stuff. Like she has some of Jackie's rainbow rings and a, a mama necklace and she is like a little girl. So it's like totally sweet. And this woman loves jewelry, right? So yeah. she met me and she's like, I must have a token. I want it in pink gold. I'm like, okay, okay. Yes, of course. So, you know, <laughs> she wears my, I'm like, oh my God, don't I want this million dollar listing broker to be anywhere in New York city showing an expensive apartment? wearing my new york city token it's like you know it's like the key to the city (laughs) so like if you love new york you want one of those pieces so it was like kind of like that and yeah i was just it was very social and the girls are great and it's like a whole network of you know when you're meeting other ambitious you know women working for themselves and your points of view align and what you want to do and you're ambitious and you're just it's basically it's networking and connecting the dots like oh I can help you how could you help me oh you know and it's just like can our businesses both thrive together like being better together kind of stuff and people involving other women and you know we all move up together kind of thing so it can't feel like you're competing like me and Jackie our jewelry 
our process or jewelry. There's nothing about our lines that competes. So we've always approached it like that. It's like, oh, hey, maybe she'd be good for you. Hey, some of my followers are following you. Hey, everyone knows we're best friends on Instagram. That's funny. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it's been like that. So just like if your friends aren't buying, like start making some new friends and they'll tell their friends and it'll get out from there. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea of making a strategic partnerships. And I think that, even as a way to generate content for social media or um, other platforms, you know, partnering with brands that aren't necessarily competitors, but are aligned or you share the same audience is a great way to really like find new customers. Awesome, like organic way to like do some PR and some marketing for yourself in a social way and you're building relationships and everybody wants the same thing. Everyone wants, you know, if your agendas all match up, then it's like one big, awesome message out into the world. And you, you know, you never know, oh, I, I need other, I'm doing a pop-up in the Hamptons. I need other brands with me to fill the space. And then, you know, you, you have this like corral of people you can call. So it's just like, it's just so important to be out there. So it's like, I'm going to be coming home late a couple of nights a week because I went to a thing and then I went to drinks and I went to an opening and, uh, you know, and, I, you know, I have this access because I'm right here. So that's great. So if you're not in a major city, I would think it would be a little harder. But, you know, just join something, join a club, join the country club, join the whatever your other interests are, join it, be out, see the people. <laughs> Definitely. So speaking of being out and about, you're super present at events, including shows like Metal and Smith, which you recently attended. What in particular do you like about event marketing? And but also what are some challenges that come with it? And how do you prepare for events? Metal and Smith came out like when I came out. So I first got their, you know, first email idea before they had their first show. And their first show, September 2016, was my first show. So I get this. I've been going to the big shows my whole career. I had to cover them for work. So I'd be sent to Las Vegas um, JCK to do a trend report, like walk as many halls and see everything and be like, come back and tell, you know, just plan the trends like, oh, pink gold is hot and amethyst is having a moment and whatever black diamonds are back whatever that was my job so i really was intimate with like the show floor and like what the booths look like and you know i i used to have to set up a giant booth for honora like i just i would try to picture myself i had a job but i would picture myself like at the new designer section in most of the shows and be like whoa i can't picture this I'm not really seeing myself here. And then I also, you know, I had to set up the show so I might get the big giant packet of the setup materials, which is really scary. It's like, I don't know what kind of lighting I need. And like, I don't know what size case. And I have to rent a chair for $300. Like, it's super daunting. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this a la carte stuff. So Madeline Smith sends me their thing. And because I was so used to looking at the majors, I was like, what? Everyone just gets an open six-foot table? That is so amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like very democratic. So it's not like if I spend more money, I can get this big, bigger booth. And I like the fact that every single brand was going to be displayed openly on just like a white table. It was like so simple. Like that was half the battle. It was like just the display alone. Like 
if you're just one little person, like having a booth is scary. You know, like you can't, how, what am I going to fill it? Oh my God, it's 10 feet by 10 feet. <gasps> you know, it's crazy. Yeah. So there was that. It was just like the ease of which they just sold you this package. And I like that even when they first came out, they had, they're always kind of sort of like in the emerging space and wanted to give a platform to new people and you know their price point reflects that and all of this and um I do I just I love a white industrial kind of space and then I really feel like you can just see the product like you're not there's not curtains and rugs and posters and all this you know stuff I just loved everything about it and I they continue to evolve and try new things and that's why I've stayed with them this whole time um I mean they're always pivoting like it used to be just to the trade not a trade show um, and now they've opened it up to pop up and they try new cities. So it's just like, I feel like we are kind of growing in parallel lines. And I just like respect how they support their brands and their language and, you know, all the different things they're doing because they're doing a lot. So me being present. Yeah, it's easy for me to be. I'm like the cheerleader over there, which is fine with me and I definitely have people like DMing me all through the year asking I'm thinking about doing this event and I at this point I have a list of bullet points I've sent out to them because I've written it so many times yeah so challenges you know getting ready for event even if it's one I've like a metal smith is like my home but it's still I'm always trying to like I can't have a whole new collection every show uh, um just I can't afford it can't be done it's too much but I'm going to have a few new pieces. So it's always like, I want to get my pieces done in time so I can get them photographed. So the good photos can be on the line sheets and they have to be priced. You know, it's like a ton of prep work to be ready for like, oh my God, what are they going to ask me? Because you really don't know what anyone's going to ask you. If the store is going to start the conversation, then you have to be prepared with all kinds of answers so you know you just try to be as buttoned up as possible one of the key things I do and I don't think everybody does is um I'll do my whole setup you know if you tell me I have four feet six feet whatever feet I set it up with my display everything out and take a picture and then you know sometimes we have to set these things up early in the morning do I want to think at eight a do I know I don't want to think anytime before noon so yeah. I Following my little planogram, setting up, la la la. Okay, so that is essential. I've seen people struggling at setup and then they're like not ready when the doors open and then you get in trouble. Don't what do, do you it. use to make a planogram? <laughs> do you draw it out? No, no, no. I, I physically set up the whole thing on the space and take the picture. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. use, use that panorama thing on the, on the camera. Get the whole table. That's a really smart tip. Print it out. Follow your planogram. <laughs> just don't try to think at the, at the event I usually really end up singing the praises of event marketing to a lot of people because I think it's like one of the best ways to really get in front of and engage customers do you find in your personal experience that that's true like how does it compare to other marketing efforts that you do oh you mean um direct to consumer kind of stuff not necessarily well, just, just direct to consumer, just the fact that you're like at an event, you know? Okay. Um, I think it's very important that you have to be, even if you're just going to have an on online store and you want to do e-commerce and that's it, it's important that you physically show up. Your stuff has to be physically accessible some way, shape or form at some time in the year. And then it is interesting to like 
meet people in person and see what people are, you know, you've got however many feet of space you have. Usually there's like a winner of the show. Like, wow, everyone tried this ring on, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to know what really works. And even if they're not talking to you, which is so many shows, they're just like come by and they might touch something. You can kind of get a sense. I think it's just important to be present. Um, There's definitely networking with, you know, the designers and the brands behind the scenes. Um, Get a little like industry intel. But you have to be where even if the person lived in Washington and they can't ever get to New York to try your stuff on, it brings a level of trust that you're out in public with the stuff. (laughs) So like other friends of mine, Delphine Lamarie, she's doing this thing with, um, it's at Michelle Varian. It's this gorgeous store in Soho and two other designers, Gold Hen and Dana Bronfman as well. They've got this little atelier up above the shop. So it's in the shop, but it's like a little separate staircase. And it's just this little like private, I call it the nest, private little space. So, you know, she was, she rebranded or had a brand refresh with um, Beth and Bonanno a few years ago, I want to say. Just like, you know, refresh the homepage, maybe packaging, a little bit of a new look. She used to do all the shows, like a lot of New York Nows. And um, she got off of the circuit. And she focused her efforts on on direct and just having that people know that she's in that little spot in Soho brought so many more followers, so many more, and it just it's easier for her to connect with her consumers. People can come in and meet her and pick their stuff up personally. So then, you know, you're having that better connection, you're building that relationship, you're getting the feedback, you're saving on shipping. Um, it's way more legit and she's even said like oh stores you know you don't have to rule out wholesale ever it's like oh some of them contact me now like they didn't see me at the last bunch of trade shows that I did but now that I'm I'm growing this way she's doubled her followers since I've known her for the past few years now sometimes stores are approaching her now so it's just very interesting you know to see a different way Yeah, that's a really great example. So since you mentioned another jewelry brand that you admire their marketing efforts, I'm curious to know if there are any others that you can point to, or even not jewelry brands necessarily, but just retail brands that you think do a really great job with their branding and marketing strategies and why? Well, I mentioned, right, so I told Jackie that I'm like, all right, you you can have the moms. I'm getting all these weirdos over here. And those are mine. Those are my people. You don't touch them. I won't go after the moms. So she's got that on lockdown. And she shares a lot of her um, personal life. And she like goads me about that I should be doing it too. And I'm like, I'm not you. You wear it on your sleeve. You wear your heart on your Instagram. Like I can't do that every day. Okay. Very effective. Amazing. And then Delphine. Like I explained, I think her, her branding, you could just look at her Instagram. It's like dream time inspiration and a luxe boho beach vibe. She's very consistent. And she posts like all the time. It's amazing. She's kind of, she's an Instagram queen. Another brand. So off jewelry, I am a little bit obsessed with Gelara. G-E-L-A-R-E-H. Mizrahi. So what I am super into it's like this street style kind of stuff, which I really like and lean into towards. And she's developed that, um, like getting looks on 
influencers who are going to like the fashion week shows and and having these like iconic very special looking you know bags that look like one of the famous models um lips and teeth with the gap in it she made like a little coin purse of that <laughs> lips or like in her she's got a flagship um store in miami where she had i think she had made a python covered skateboard and she's got all these skater friends so she had a skating ramp in her store in miami and it's like a, a transitional neighborhood like a neighborhood's getting like cooler and more boutique but it was coming off of you know, all this street style and skater kind of vibe kind of space. So she like was able to bring in that community and like make it authentic to the space that it's in. I just like, I, I just, she's got a funny sense of humor and it's a little like not for everyone maybe, but the mini bags are super cute. I just, I don't know. I like what she's doing. Yeah. I, I like the pop right culture. Now and just from, from just the peek I'm taking at her Instagram and website, everything's like so cohesive and you can tell it's part of, you know, one distinct brand. It's bright, happy colors. She has a sense of humor. Um, the stuff is cute. It's a little cartoony, but it's in like really fine materials. She comes from a family who was doing fashion or I think that's where she had her, like the bag manufacturers, you know, already in play, but she's like, joking around like she's printing cheetos on stuff she talks about like the thank you bags and like their stickers of like old english 40 ounce and like stuff you'd find at the bodega just like cheeky and street and fun and cartoon and all the stuff i like Uh (laughs) not taking herself too seriously but obviously she she's getting somewhere that's about all the questions I have for you, Julie. Did you have anything else you want to talk about? What's what's coming down the pike for you? What can we expect from you in the future? Ah, I think I have like one event a month for the end of the year, but I, I need to double and triple that up last quarter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking at more press, hopefully crossing my fingers on something. I dropped off today. I will let you know. Um, just like exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Just like if this is your passion and this is really what you want to do, like you have to give it everything. It's just give it as much personality as you can. Give it as much time as you can. And just, you know, keep at it. Even, you know, when you're trying to be off duty, like don't stop. Mm-hmm. And if you're in it to make money, then, you know, go into a different <laughs> if it's your passion we must follow our passions so it's I'm doing true. That. really good advice <laughs> be you stand out right that's right all day baby <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much julie for your time it was so great to talk to you today and thanks for sharing all your insights no problem my pleasure thanks it was such a pleasure to be able to talk to julie and pick her brain about how she handles marketing for her distinct jewelry brand Be sure to visit the Julie Lamb website at julielamby.com and follow her on social media, Julie Lamb NY on Facebook and at Julie Lamb NY on Instagram. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-Commerce Jewelry Retailers.